I think everybody here has memories of their youth, and if you're a youth, you have memories of yesterday, and you know, but so all of us have memories of, and maybe some of us really early memories, if you have really good memories. Well, I, I have some very distinct memories of my aunt and uncle. They lived down the street from us when we lived in Alexandria, Virginia, when I was a little kid. And I remember going over to their house, and even when I was older, we moved a little ways from them, we'd come over, and my grandma, I mean, my aunt, she cooked this amazing roast beef. She had like the thickest gravy. It was so good. We always sat at the little card table for the kids and we ate green bean casserole and I never liked my mom's green bean or vegetable anything, but my aunt knew how to flavor stuff. So it was, my mom was a good cook too, but on those kind of recipes, she nailed it, right? It was good. And I remember I'd go downstairs and I'd watch the, uh, the football games on TV and it was usually on Thanksgiving, there was always the Redskins and the Cowboys and being a Redskins fan, they'd always lose back then, but it was... Uh, it was still uh, just really thick and strong memories. And my aunt would always yell at my uncle all the time because he was always doing the wrong thing, right? And she would be like, Herbert! And she'd yell for him downstairs, why haven't you gotten Stephen some Hawaiian punch? And I'm like, I didn't even really ask for it, but that's cool. So I'd follow him into this back room, and it was this kind of like their basement in this uh, house. And uh, in the back, behind the refrigerator, there was all these running trophies, you see, when my uncle uh, turned uh, late 40s, mid-40s to around 50, he started running again. He went to Williams College in New England and was on the captain of the cross-country team. And uh, he was really good. And when he joined the Navy, he continued to run cross-country. Then he stopped, and he kind of got, you know, lazy and put on weight, and really wasn't a runner anymore, and he decided to start running again. And he was good. He was a good distance runner. He was so good, by the time he was in his mid-50s and 60s, he was the top three in the nation for marathons. His times he got, he would have won the marathon outright if he was running in the 1920s. People didn't have the, you know, the good shoes back then or something, but he was an amazing runner. But my aunt would not let him put the trophies for anybody to see. They kept him in that back room. She said they cluttered up the house. But I think it had the reverse effect because I think him running kind of annoyed her a little bit too because he was always doing it. But because he couldn't gaze on all his trophies, you know, he had all those trophies sitting there, I think it kept him running. He wanted more, right? Because he couldn't just say, hmm, good job, you completed your first marathon. He never got to look at him, except for when he got me Hawaiian punch, you know, a few times a year. (laughs) And went in that dark, dingy room. See, many of us here have accomplished things in our life. Um, Sometimes they're smaller things, like, you know, uh, getting your driver's license. But sometimes they're bigger things. For those who are retired, uh, maybe there was times you had promotions or great successes at work. Maybe for those who are, uh, who are married, you can think of a, uh, your honeymoon and just you finally got the courage when you got engaged and you had the wedding as that being a great event in your life. But all of those events, whether it's a promotion or a wedding or some significant vacation you went on, we know that life doesn't stop there. Imagine if you got a promotion at work and you said, that was awesome. All right, I'm not going to go to work anymore. I've done it. I've completed it. Wouldn't last. As I've said before in many sermons, if you got married and you looked at your spouse and said, hey, the honeymoon was great, I'll see you in five years, wouldn't work, right? That uh, that marriage would be in trouble. Uh, And all of these accomplishments, we're never meant to gaze at our trophies, to gaze at our accomplishment. We're meant to keep living life. And in the same vein, being a Christian is not an arrival. It's not a trophy to say, I'm a Christian. It's not a Facebook status where you put religion, Christian. 
It's much, much more than that. You see, being a Christian is, well, it's being a Christian. It's your whole life. It's the way you live your life. It's not just a title. It's not a certificate. It's not something to file away so when you're really old and you get buried, you can put down your life insurance. I'm a Christian, so now I get to go to heaven. No, it's a living it out every day. This morning, I want us to look a little bit more on what it means to be a Christian. What does that entail? And the good news is we look at Scripture, and particularly at the prophet Micah and his words in that reading this morning, we're going to see that there's a clear prescription for all of us to follow. There's, there's clear themes that we need to be about in our life so that we know what to do every day of our lives being a Christian. Plus, the added good news this morning is we're going to be reminded once again that we're not alone as we do this. It's not God standing on the sidelines saying, you better be worth it. It's you joining what the Holy Spirit is doing, what the body of believers are doing. It's you living out the faith. So let's begin by looking at the prophet uh, Micah and his words. So Micah begins and he reminds the Hebrew people, these Jewish uh, people, of what God has done for them, how he brought them out of slavery, going back to Moses, all how gracious God has been to them. And then he tells the people, the prophet Micah tells them that like, God does not want your sacrifices. He doesn't need you to sacrifice more animals. He doesn't need you to give him a bunch of money. You can't be like, God, hey, thanks for what you did. Let me pull out a few 20s. Can we call it even? I live my life. You kind of do your thing. He's like, no, that's not what God wants. This is what God wants. He is showing you, O mortal, what is good and what does the Lord require of you to act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. Jesus Christ, God in flesh when he came, he lived and embodied this message. He acted justly. He loved mercy. And his whole life was a humble walk with God as the faithful servant who came to die for our sins, to rise again, said all of us have the hope of eternal life. So we're going to look at Christ did, what Christ did, and we're going to see, too, that we're called to act justly, to love mercy, love kindness, Depends on the translation you read. They both translate to the same word. And to walk humbly with God. So first of all, act justly. What does that mean? What does that look like? When we act justly, what Jesus demonstrated was that people mattered. Relationships mattered. Particularly people that were on the fringes of life. People who had been pushed out. People who other people said, you're no good. You don't matter. You don't have enough money. You don't have enough status. You've done too many bad things. You're not good enough. See, Jesus fought that. There's a great example. Uh, Jesus was always teaching to his disciples, and one day people were giving money, and uh, he used this example to give them a big lesson on what it means to act justly. It said, Jesus sat down opposite to the place where the offerings were being put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts, But a poor widow widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a few cents. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, Truly I tell you that this poor woman has put more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she gave out her poverty. She put in everything, all that she had to live on. See right there, there's this woman, and Jesus uses her as an example to build her up, to say this woman matters. Some gave some, but she gave all. This is an example for all of us 
of what it means to build somebody up, to show somebody that people that don't think matter, Jesus built her up to teach a lesson to everybody what it looks like to act justly, to celebrate those people that don't have much, these people that maybe society deems as losers, but Christ sees them way differently. There was another time that Jesus healed the woman who had an issue of bleeding. She had been this way for a long time. She heard about Jesus. There was crowds around Jesus. It says that the woman who was there had been subject to bleeding for 12 years, so it was a long time, and no one could heal her. She came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak, and immediately bleeding stopped. Who touched me, Jesus asked. When they all denied it, Peter said, Master, the people are crowding and pressing against you. But Jesus said, Someone touched me. I know that power has gone out from me. See, Jesus, he could have just said, Ah, somebody got healed, let him go. But there's a reason he did this. This woman who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years, the religious people of that day, the injustice of the system, they would have said, You know what? She's unclean. She's sick. Must have been something she did or relatives did. She's not worthy to be in the temple. So he made sure that everybody saw that she had been healed so those people could see that she was worthy, that she could be in the temple again. She could be a part of everyday life. She wasn't pushed out of the camp. He knew who it was who touched her, but he wanted her to come forward to elevate her, to let her know that I see you. I know your story. I know the injustice that's been done for you. I came to come to heal and to restore you. See, this is why Jesus so often picked on the religious people of the day. Not because he didn't like them, he loved them. He saw that they were trying to look good on the outside. They were walking around. He called them whitewashed tombs, to their face actually. But I think he was saying that to them. The reason is he's like, look, stop trying to pretend. Stop trying to be hypocrites. Just admit that you need help. Admit that you can't do life on your own. You all are hollow on the inside. And because you can't see God anymore, you're distorting your view of other people. You're looking down on people who are sick. You're distorting the law to exclude people. What you're doing is full of injustice. This is why later the writers of Hebrews reminds us all as believers the importance of acting justly. It says, keep on loving one another as brothers and sisters. That we don't just look at people as like, oh, that person over there, that we see each other, and not just our immediate family, but as brothers and sisters for all who believe. Because when we do that with each other, it extends to the outside for those who don't. He goes on, the writer says, do not forget to show hospitality to strangers, for by doing, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. I preached on this earlier, and it's kind of like, whoa, wait, if you do a stranger, he's an angel. I'm not trying to get you all into some weird thing of looking for angels all the time. But it's saying, I mean, maybe, but it's saying that it's holy work when you reach out to people that aren't part of your in-group. The writer goes on and says this. It says, continue to remember those in prison as if you were together with them in prison and those who are mistreated as if though yourself, you yourself were suffering. You know, we have folks in this congregation that go out to the prisons, and I've heard other people say, why are they going to the prisons over in Allendale when there's work to be done right here on Hilton Head? They're going because we're called to help those whose lives are a mess. For some people who are caught up in maybe injustice from the way they were treated as kids and they end up doing terrible things, we're called to love them, to help them as they're incarcerated, to show them Christ's love. Because when we do that there, 
We're going to be much better lovers of people when we come back here on Hilton Head or wherever you go. We are about every day as believers to act justly. The second thing that Micah uh, says, the prophet Micah says, is to love mercy. Not only do we act justly, those who are on the fringes, but we're supposed to also be merciful to people that we don't necessarily like. People that deserve to get it. You know those kind of people, the ones that you see speeding past you on, over the cross island, you're like, I hope they get a ticket because they, they have an Ohio license plate and they don't know. I know to drive slow. And then they don't get a ticket and you're like, what is wrong with the system? No, we're supposed to love mercy. See, we're merciful because we understand that Christ died for us while we were yet sinners. We understand that we don't deserve it, but Christ loved us anyways. He wasn't trying to get people. He went around seeing people. When he saw people, they were convicted of the things they were doing wrong, and they changed. You know the story. A lot of times I throw this in sermons because it's such a great story. I could hear it a million times. It's the story of Zacchaeus. He was a short man. He was very wealthy. He was a tax collector, not well-liked. You know, I think that perhaps that he, uh, because he was a short man, he always felt like people were looking over him. They weren't paying attention to him. So maybe he used all this money and status to say, look at me. I got the nicest stuff. I got the nicest clothes. Look at me. Notice me. Then he climbs up in this tree to get a better look at Jesus so he can see above the crowds. And you know what? Jesus doesn't walk in by him and say, tax collector. That guy needs to just get down from the tree and figure life out. He's, he's just a bad person. No, Jesus says, I see you up in that tree. Come on down. I'm going to your house today. Ultimate sign in the Middle East of friendship. I know you. I see you. I love you. Of course, the people who saw this begin to mutter. That's that guy who drives fast on the Cross Island Bridge. You know, no. They said, that's the guy who cheats everybody. He's gone to be the guest of a sinner. Jesus doesn't say anything. But you know what? Zacchaeus says this. He said, Lord, look, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I'll pay it back four times to the mount. Because Jesus saw him, it led to repentance. You know what? The mutterers, the people that were saying, look at him, again, they were hollow. They were thinking that just because they looked good on the outside, everything was right in their hearts. We're supposed to love mercy. When we look at people, we don't see the way they look right now. We see the potential for them. If they would know God, that's why we want to share the faith with them because we know that's the one thing that can change them. When Zacchaeus said that, did this, made that pronouncement of what he was going to do, Jesus said, let the people know that salvation had come to that house. I see Zacchaeus. I love him. Zacchaeus is like, I changed. I want to, I'm with Christ now. My life is different. Salvation's come to my house. called to love mercy, to love kindness, especially for the person that we think doesn't deserve it. We love because he first loved us. Paul writes to the Ephesians, because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, 
made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. When you're reminded about that over and over again, you are merciful. You are able to love. You're able to be kind, especially to the one that maybe by your standards you think doesn't deserve it. Finally, the third thing that Micah tells us is to walk humbly with your God. And by the way, these aren't in order. First you act justly, then you love mercy, and then you can walk with God. No, this, it's like throwing all three of those things in a blender, and that's what you do every day. You act, you love, you walk with God, you walk, you love, you act. It's all together. But when you think of walking humbly with God, for those of you who know the, your Bible, and those of you who don't, I'll tell you in the very beginning story we know in Genesis that Adam and Eve, before they said no to God and yes to self, walked with God in the, uh, in the garden. See, that's the way we were meant to live life, to walk with God. But then sin came, and everything got distorted. They couldn't see each other. They hid from God. They couldn't see God. And then if you read the people are like, why is the Old Testament so bad? Why are there stories of people murdering each other? It's because sin came in the world, distorted everything. They couldn't see God right anymore. They couldn't see people. It was a mess. But we get glimmers of hope in the Old Testament. In Genesis, we see Joseph reconciling with his brothers who deserved to just be thrown into prison or killed for what they did to him. But they hugged and embraced. We see this hope. We see the hope from the prophets who tell about the Messiah that's coming. And then Jesus comes, and he didn't love us from a distance. He walked with people. For 33 years, he lived among them. The word became flesh and dwelled with people. He humbly took the nature of a servant. He died for us on the cross so that we could have access to the Father. He rose again so that no matter how difficult life gets for you and for me, that we know the end of the story. And the end of the story is really good for us who are believers. There's a real hope of eternal life. And that permeates to every area of our life. So we're called to walk humbly with God. The Apostle Paul tells us in uh, Philippians to remind us of what, how Jesus, uh, what an example he was for us of somebody who walked with God. He says, Jesus, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made <clears throat> in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross for you and for me so that we could be forgiven, so that we could walk with God in our lives. <clears throat> you and I are called to the same steady faith, to, love, to act justly, to love mercy, to walk humbly with God in our everyday lives. We're called to do this with the people we come in contact, the closest to us, the furthest away, those on the inside of our groups, those on the outside. You know, recently I uh, took a group of uh, seven people that joined me. We went to the Alpha Conference because we're getting ready to launch Alpha. I'll tell you more about that during announcements. But the cool thing about it is that we were all being just filled by uh, uh, the conference, just uh, reminding them being how much God loved us, being filled with the Holy Spirit as far as understanding uh, um, just that we mattered to God, that he saw us, and that we're called to share this message with other people. But it was funny, as we were, uh, we took Ubers everywhere half the time, and every time uh, a couple of the people that were driving were so good at the Uber drivers would always ask us what we were doing. And we're like, oh, we're kind of going to some conference. 
the, one of the guys in particular was so good at just explaining what Alpha was. I mean, he was almost leading people to Christ as we were uh, driving in the Ubers. It's the everyday life of just telling people why you have hope and doing it in such a natural way. My wife was on the plane sitting next to a lady, and uh, she sensed that the lady was maybe going through a little bit of a tough time and asked her, and her dad had just had a heart attack. And Veronica asked her if she could pray for her. She said, sure enough, they're praying right on the plane. And the lady started opening up, and you know, we just shared and laughed about some other things in life. But it's looking for those opportunities as we walk with God. It's not just about us and our personal faith. It's acting, loving, praying for others being with others as we walk through life together. So this morning, the question for you all is, are you a believer? Is your idea of Christianity just to kind of check off and say, I'm a Christian, have your little Christian trophy up there? You know, we're, um, we're about to have a baptism this morning. And in this baptism, this isn't just a one-time event for the boy Porter that's going to be baptized It's a commitment from his family and from the whole congregation to say, together, we're going to help Porter to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk with God. And we're going to do that too. It's not just for Porter, it's for everybody here. Because you all are going to have a chance to renew your own vows, for lack of a better word. Your own promise you made, your baptismal uh, promise that you made. We're going to do that together. But before that, I just want to remind us as a church that we're called to enflesh this, embody this every day. To love, to act, to walk. Act justly, love mercy, walk humbly. And we're not alone in doing it. We have the help of the Holy Spirit. We have the community of believers that helps us to do this. We have the community of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. We have the God who loved us, that he sent his Son to die for us. We have the Son who died for us to bring us to God. We have the Holy Spirit who fills us so that we can live out the Christian life. So there's a temptation sometimes in Christian circles. And one of the speakers at our conference was Francis Chan. Some of you may be familiar with him. He's written some great books. The greatest thing about this guy is he's famous in the Christian world. For a lot of people on the outside, I mean, maybe if you haven't read a lot of, like, latest Christian books, you're like, who's Francis Chan? He's a pastor who's a pastor of a mega church, but the older he's got, the more humble he's got. He stepped away from his mega church and started starting up home churches in San Francisco. He said he was convicted recently because he started saying, you know what, I, um, he said he calls himself a foodie. He said, you can't help it in San Francisco. You get a cup of coffee there, and someone's like, well, you had coffee there. You should have had coffee over on that street. Or you ate that sushi? Mmm, that's only so good. You need to go over there. He said he was kind of caught up in it. Nothing wrong with having a good cup of coffee or sushi, right? But then he went to Africa, into this area where there's all these people in this encampment who have been displaced, and saw little children dying, mothers screaming. And he became reminded not that those people, he knew those people needed to be fed, and they were finding ways to do that but also how spiritually bankrupt we become. How spiritually, we can become almost spiritual foodies, he said. People who are all like, let me just kind of, you know, I want more of this for me, me. I like that sermon, that sermon's okay, that Christian book's okay. I think that church is better than this church. And, you know, that's not what God had in mind. We come, we get filled up, we share. We act justly, we love mercy. We walk with God every day. 
So that's what this esteemed Christian leader is doing more and more, humbling himself. He's not saying, I'm never going to have a good cup of coffee again. He still does that. But he's realizing the importance of not just saying you're a Christian, but being a Christian every day. So as we... uh, I'm missing my page, uh, my last page here. Let me see if I can find it. I hate when that happens, right? And you're like, uh... We're going to play a song after I pray here in just a minute. And then we're going to have our baptism for Porter. And when you all say you're... uh, uh, You all are going to be a part of this. You're going to renew your own covenant with God. And here's something you guys are going to say... I mean, we're gonna say, we're gonna, I'm going to say it once more to you. The very last one we're going to say together. And then we're going to get to say it again. Because I want you to know this. And I want myself to know this. To realize as I leave here today, it's not all about me and my little faith. My Christian trophy. It's being a Christian and living it out. So I'm going to say to all of you, will you proclaim by word and example the good news of God in Christ? And you're going to say, I will with God's help. I'm also going to say, will you seek and serve Christ in all persons? even the people you don't like, loving your neighbor as yourself, and you're going to say, I will, with God's help. And then lastly, I'm going to say, will you strive for justice and peace among all people and respect the dignity of every human being? And all together, we're going to say, I will, with God's help. You want to try it? I will, with God's help. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you that you've called everyone here to walk humbly with you, to love mercy, to act justly, and to do that every day. I thank you that you've given us the power of the Holy Spirit, that we're not alone trying to do that. You've also given us the power of this community, this body of believers and other believers all around the world, to help us to live out the faith, not just say we're Christian, but to embody it, to be it. Help us to do that today. In Jesus' name, amen.